Number 41 states, wholeness is the perceptual content of miracles. They thus correct or atone for the faulty perception of lack. And in the lessons that we've been doing, you can see how this can be put into practice. And that, and that our gentle gaze is allowed to rest on anything whatsoever. That we exclude nothing. That there is no range to our giving. The ego thinks that without special love, there would be no love. But if you'll look closely at what the ego is doing with special love, it is not increasing love for one individual or for one child or a spouse. It is decreasing it everywhere else so that this love will appear to stand out in comparison. <coughs> God simply tells us this is not necessary. We can love without limit everything that our eyes rest upon. But first we must remove that which is blocking our ability to do that. And the meaning that we see in the things around us, the judgments we have laid upon little objects and people, upon weather, keeps us from loving those things. So wholeness is the perceptual content of miracles. 42. A major contribution of miracles is their strength in releasing you from your false sense of isolation, deprivation, and lack. So very often the question comes up, how is A Course in Miracles using the term ego? I can think of no better definition than our false sense of isolation. We really think we are located inside of a skull and that we're peering out of these little holes and hearing out of these little holes in the side of our head and that we think these thoughts that are completely private and secret. And that God is a nice concept, but surely God has forgotten us. We have no evidence of God as we go through the day. That is a false sense of isolation. It simply isn't based on fact. We are literally surrounded by Jesus by God, by the light of God, by love, whatever words you wish to use. And as I have said before, and as many, many of you have said to yourselves and to each other, we can talk to God, or whatever form God comes to us, in a sense that is far more real than my voice is to you right now. <clears throat> far more real. If I came over and held your hand right now, when you feel Jesus holds your hand, it will feel more, far more real than that. Far more real than that. It's interesting that the word Jesus is only used in the manual and, and in just one section, although the entire standpoint of A Course in Miracles is first person. And I believe that it's, it's clear as to why, since A Course in Miracles says in many different ways that controversy is of no use to anyone. We're here to help each other, not to argue with each other. I think it's clear as to why the word Jesus is not used more in A Course in Miracles. And that is that so many people react to that word. They've seen it misused on bumper stickers and on uh, signs along the side of the road, early morning television and so forth. Actually, it wasn't even his name. That's just the Greek translation of it. Heshua. Is a little bit closer than Jesus. And of course, all these magical invocations, which you invoke his name, pray in my name, said Jesus, um, are a 
little silly when you realize that if someone had said Jesus, no one would have turned around because you know that wasn't that wasn't that wasn't uh, the actual way that you sounded his name. So, of course, in miracles is, is trying to to steer us to the to the spirit, to the deep heart content of what it means to have someone walk beside you and hold your hand. And if it disturbs you to use the word Jesus, it's not necessary to use it. I know I've told this story in our groups, but I'm not sure I've told it here. This is a woman in our grief group. She's driving down the highway. She looked up and a car had crossed the meridian. And she realized that there was no way that she could avoid hitting this car. And she said, I turned to the X factor. And I said, you're going to have to handle this. And she said, no sooner had she said that than the sweetness went throughout her body. And the cars collided. Her car was completely totaled. Police cars came and she... The, cow, the crowd gathered and so forth. She said she just sat there in the front seat in a state of perfect peace, just looking at the lights going around. <laughs> People stuck their heads in the window and said, uh, You all right, lady? She said, Yes, I'm, I'm just fine. <laughs> well, you're sure going to be sore tomorrow. <laughs> well, okay. And about that time, her brother just happened to come by and see something over here. So she had a ride home. And the next day she wasn't sore. But she turned to the X factor. <clears throat> God knows when we turn to him. And, and there's another thing that we, we get caught up on. Does infinite divine love have genitals? What difference does it make if we say he or she or shim or whatever it is? <laughs> These things can bother us, but let us not deceive ourselves that when they do bother us, we simply are deciding not to turn to God. That's all we're doing if someone else's words bother us. Forty-three. Miracles arise from a miraculous state of mind, or a state of miracle readiness. So miracles arise from a, a mental state of miracle readiness. And this is just about all that we're asked to do, is to make ourselves ready, which simply means not defend ourselves against miracles. And the thing that we defend ourselves against most, I'm convinced, is happiness. We really don't think that we can be happy, that the, that the world's going to fall in on us if we allow ourselves to be happy now. So always our mind is being used in a manner to remind ourselves how we cannot let down our guard and be happy now. We've got to remember what this person did to us. We've got to remember this fearful thing that might hurt us in the future. We don't let our defenses down and say, everything's okay. I'll be happy right now. I'll make people comfortable this instant. Let me give you a little technique for doing that. This sounds real corny. The way you can tell things that are very truthful and very effective is they seem to the ego overly simplistic and very corny. <laughs> if it's corny enough, it works. Just like Mary had a little lamb. The next time that you find that there is some thought that's going through your mind over and over that's hurting you, 
and you wish to do something about it, try this little technique. This is one of a thousand. There's nothing magical about this technique. I promise you, though, it will work. Take out a piece of paper and write down the thoughts that are hurting you. Let's say you've just gone through a divorce. So you would write down certain things that your your ex-spouse said to you. You would write certain things that the attorney did. Uh, you would write down certain things about who got what. You don't have Aunt Matilda's lamp anymore. And you'll never be happy again. <laughs> Whatever it is that's hurting you. Uh, maybe uh, maybe there seems to be a shift in the alliance of the children. Maybe they're not leaning towards you now. You just write down the particular hot coals that your mind is prone to pick up. These are very easy to identify. And as the lesson we will do today indicates, simply identify the thought by its central subject or theme. That's all you have to do. Just take the central subject or theme, like attorney, uh, or, uh, <laughs> well, I won't say that. Uh, <laughs> just identify it by the, um, I keep I have to remember this is a church. <laughs> uh, just identify that, write it down, cut these out individually. This just takes a, uh, two or three minutes. And then get one, get one of those little garbage bags, you know, you line the, uh, you line your trash can with. You stick it in there. This is the God bag. You're giving these to God. You're just going to put them in there. If later you think of another one that you grab hold of over and over again and it hurts you every time you start going over this particular thought, then you'll write that down and you put it in there. Now, you take out another sheet of paper. And on this sheet of paper, you write down any thought that you know will bring a smile to your face, that gives you strength, that makes you relax, that gives you a sense of, of genuine lightheartedness. Maybe it's this ugly old cat. It's so ugly, you know it will be with you forever. And so you write that. <coughs> Maybe it's this, uh, this, this child that's come into your life. There's a, there's a woman here who, uh, who just unexpectedly got a child. It was turned over to her. This child. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's some, something that you see when you look out a particular window. Maybe it's a particular prayer. Write that prayer down. Anything that you know that when your mind is occupied with this, you are choosing your strength rather than your weakness. Now here's the rule. You can think about the thoughts that will hurt you. But in order to do so, you must go over, untie the back, and take the thought out. And hold it in your hand while you think about it. Now, what this will do is it will clearly indicate to you that it's your choice as to whether or not you wish to think about this thought. Hold it there, and when you no longer wish to think about this thing, then you put it back in the bag, tie it back up. Make it simple. Uh, maybe you'd like to have one bag in your uh, room. Uh, so if you wake up in the middle of the night, Maybe you'd like to have a duplicate, but you have to have a duplicate back by the toilet. <laughs> Make it simple, but this is, you just take the thing out. You've got to hold it there while you're thinking about this thought that you know is going to hurt you. That you know will cut you off from the people around you. And Now, the things that are on the list, keep one of those lists by each of the bags. You can think about those thoughts whenever you wish. You don't have to have the list, but you keep a list by the bag to remind you that you have that choice. 
how much time will you waste by going in the bag and pulling out the little thought? In a day, maybe six minutes. That's how much time, if you were to add all the times that you went in and got the thing, maybe five or six minutes. Is five or six minutes worth your mental freedom, your happiness, your strength? Would you like to become a healer with just five or six minutes effort? That's the question. And as I say, that's just one, one of a thousand ways of doing it. Miracles arise from a miraculous state of mind or a state of miracle readiness. That, that makes the mind ready. The only thing that the mind has to do in order to be ready is not cherish a grievance. If it's not cherishing a grievance, if, it, if our mind is not expending the effort to remember a grudge, to complain, or to seek something it doesn't have but will require the future, then it is automatically ready to receive miracles. 44. The miracle is an expression of an inner awareness of Christ and the acceptance of his atonement. 45. A miracle is never lost. This is the, uh, I don't know if there was a notice in the paper today, but that, that, that was the theme of our service today. A miracle is never lost. It may touch many people you have not even met and produce undreamed of changes in situations of which you are not even aware. As we proceed on a spiritual path, a number of surprising things begin to happen to us, all of which indicate that what we thought were the laws of this world uh, are inapplicable. The laws of this world can be so easily set aside and miracles set them aside so easily that we begin to doubt the whole construction of life as we have held to it. And this is one of those things, probably it's happened to many of you, it will happen to all of you eventually, and that is, you will see that when you are healed, someone else is healed along with you at the same instant. And there appears to be no end to this line of healings that takes place simultaneously with your healing. <coughs> the corollary is that we cannot be afraid by ourselves. We cannot experience the effect of any thought by ourselves. So if you are... If you are complaining about your fat thighs, you are joining all the other people who are complaining about their fat thighs. You cannot experience the effect of, of any thought by yourself. I have a um, stepsister who is very interested in this particular subject. And she has made it a point to trace down what is happening every time she experiences any kind of pain whatsoever. She will immediately get on the phone and try to find out who else that she knows is in pain in that same way. So convinced is she that she is sharing someone's pain. Not a victim of it, She's sharing their burden and therefore can help them relieve it. And I remember one uh, incident that she was telling me about recently in which she was in the desert and she decided to take off her shoes. And she walked a little distance and ran a cactus needle right through her big toe. Well, when she got back to a phone, she called around and she found uh, a cousin who had uh, dropped something on her big toe the same instant. That was just one of a, maybe 20 stories she told me like this. It seems crazy, but this, is, this gives us an additional motive 
for quickly releasing ourselves from whatever, whatever, from whatever form of misery we have gotten into during the day. If you are depressed, if you are angry, if you're sad, if you're irritated, you are not irritated alone. If you do not think that you are worthy of the effort, do it for the other person, even though you cannot see them, even though you may not find out who it was for a very long time. Do it for them. And likewise, remember, during your depression, your sadness, your irritation, your fear, that you likewise can share any gentle effort, any healing effort that anyone in this world is making at that instant. It is yours. Open your heart and receive it. If you do not think that you have the ability to make the effort yourself, know for certain there are people making the effort for you. Just open your heart and let them heal you. Along with that, let me give you an imagery that has been very helpful to me. A miracle is never lost, is this particular principle. We, we've talked before how we all do make attempts to be kind and to heal and to give, and that when our gift is not accepted with uh, lavish thanks and praise and so forth, we withdraw it. We don't like the attitude of our child, you know, uh, because uh, they've opened this particular present and they've gotten interested in this particular present, and we say, well, yes, but there's this other present. You haven't opened this other present. And they're already interested in this present, you see. These strings that we, we attach to our gifts, where we run over and say, yes, but open my present. You haven't opened my present yet. You see, these strings we, where we want people, we are trying to manipulate people's attitudes. Where it is so, it is, it is such a relief just to give the gift and not ask the person to use it in any particular way mentally, not to make the demand that they use it anyway. We just give the gift. Uh, we've heard people complain about giving someone money and then find they've used it to join the spa. Or uh, they did something else that we thought was inappropriate. They went to a movie instead of paying the phone bill. See. That's not our function. Our function is to give the gift. So how can we give our gifts in such a manner that we will not withdraw them? Because that's, that's the problem now. We do make efforts to heal, but we withdraw the healing. To heal is to make happy, says the Course in Miracles. So we make efforts to make people happy, but if they don't act just right, then we withdraw it. Well, this is one little imagery that's been helpful to me. I see Christ standing behind the person, and I give my gift, I make my effort to Christ. I see Christ holding out his arms to me, and thanking me for my gifts, my effort to be patient, my effort to be gentle. <clears throat> Even though the person's ego may not be responding as my ego thinks that they ought to be, I give the gift to Christ, who I picture standing behind the person as this lovely figure of light, holding out his hands to me, and thanking me each time I do this. I find that that way I don't withdraw the gift. Because now I know to what I am giving it. We're not giving it to other people's egos. There's, there's no... It's pointless to give anything to another person's ego. Even if they appear to appreciate it, the ego doesn't appreciate it. It just thinks it is, it is one. It has proven that it's stronger than we are. 46. The Holy Spirit is the highest communication medium. Miracles do not involve this type of communication because they are temporary communication devices. 
When you return to your original form of communication with God by direct revelation, the need for miracles is over. Now we're going to get into this specific subject very shortly in the text. So, I thought we might not discuss that this morning. Let, 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 just let me say this one thing. And that is that the Course points out that direct communication with God at this point, with our level of understanding, is not a practical goal. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It, it says just don't become frustrated by trying to attempt something that at the moment is not feasible for you to attain. Now, this not only applies to direct... It says also that if direct communication with God were achieved and were sustained, that the body would not be sustained. So, it's, it's pointless for us to attempt to have the kinds of experiences that other people may appear to be having if we are not having them, and by trying to have them, we simply put ourselves in a state of frustration. <coughs> this is why I think it's so important that we not entreat God, we not beg God, uh, because God is a blessing that surrounds us and fills us this instant. All we have to do is open our heart to it. We don't have to try to get it in some way. We just allow it to be. However, miracles are easily attainable by anyone, expressions of love, in which we see the light of God in other people, and we give our light to them. That is a temporary communication device that echoes our original form of communication and is quite easy to attain and will make us so happy that there is no reason not so we simply decline to go around destroying people's happiness. Instead, we attempt to lift their misery. And that is the miracle. And it gladdens us as it gladdens the other person. But as I said, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more as we, as we get into this, these first few sections of the text. 47. The miracle is a learning device that lessens the need for time. It establishes an out-of-pattern time interval, not under the usual laws of time. In this sense, it is timeless. 48. The miracle is the only device at your immediate disposal for controlling time. Only revelation transcends it, having nothing to do with time at all. You know these computer readouts in which you can see a car uh, hitting a, a wall and the fenders fall off and all kinds of things happen. And then on the computer readouts, you just push the button and the whole thing happens instantly. You see the whole thing at once in an instant rather than having to sit there and watch the whole the car approach the wall and all the stuff. It'll just The computer will just read it out. Without using that analogy, a course says that this world happened in an instant. Everything that we're experiencing right now happened in an instant. That what is happening at this time is that we are drawing out this instant with our concept of space and time. We're drawing it out, making it seem as if it has endurance just as we do in a dream at night. I'm sure every one of you have had the experience of taking a nap, waking up, and thinking that you've been asleep much longer than you were asleep because the dream itself seemed to take so long. There was a sense of time that expanded it that did not coincide with the sense of time you had when you woke up and looked at, looked at your watch and realized that only a, a few minutes had passed. Course in Miracles states that what is happening is that we are looking back at this whole thing which happened in an instant. Every search <coughs> that every form of life went on. And we have selected a particular time and place to review. 
that the world is actually over. We are merely going back and reactivating a particular time and place and revealing it. The Course says that we have done this many, many times before, but that this is the last review. Now, the purpose of a review is not to change the events that are just being reviewed. The purpose of a review is to see all that happens this time in the light of forgiveness, to see it gently and with peace, so that we will not hold on to it. If there is any thought that disturbs you during the day, if there's something that happened, or something that could happen that you think has meaning, is it likely that that thought would not disturb you if you were in the state of mind we call heaven? Why wouldn't it? If we still assign meaning to it now, we would still assign meaning to it then. So the work that we have to do, if work is the word we would choose to use, is to forgive what has happened in the past and to forgive what we think could hurt us in the future. Because that is our personal health. And to know the contents of our personal hell, all we have to do is to look, as our, look at our thoughts as we go through the day. If, perchance, you do not think that you wish anyone ill, just look at your thoughts as you go through the day. Do you fantasize situations in which someone is unkind to you, or slights you, or in which you, you are right in a conversation? You say something that's right and someone else is wrong? All of us do this most of the time. If we do it, we still value it. So we do, in fact, still value certain forms of attack. So there is no uh, question as to why we have not let go of our ego, even though we're beginning to see that our ego makes us very unhappy, this sense of isolation, this sense of separateness, that anything we get, we have to keep it, in order for other people not to have. That whole sense of competition and war, it's clear that we, we, we still value that just by the thoughts, by the fantasies that we have as we go through the day, by the dreams we have at night. So we are involved here in a sense of time. Time is not an absolute. And that's why the miracle can transcend it as easily as the alarm clock transcends it when we wake from a dream that we were having. Now, one of the very first statements that you will read in A Course in Miracles can be quite distressing. It says that it has taken many millions of years to reach this point and that it may take many millions of years before the atonement is complete. So in that somewhat indirect way, it states we are at the halfway point. We are merely turning around. It was at the end of this century that all the prophets and the mystics and everyone said it would happen. Now what it would be has been said in different terms. But this is the time we're in it. Course in Miracles indicates not the end of the world, but simply the turning around. Now we will walk toward love instead of toward hate. There is a, uh, a woman in uh, one of our groups who was very distressed when she was a little girl about death. And she was praying. And what she heard was that when she became an adult, most of the world would no longer believe in death. It would be generally recognized that there was no death. 
clearly that's happening. These resuscitation uh, experiences are so widespread, this is a, a science now, its own journals. There are people all over the world doing this kind of work. Almost, there's almost a, a story almost in every uh, issue of, uh, of at least one paper or magazine or something during the week, a new resuscitation story. Someone tells about something that happened while they appeared to be dead. Then they wake up and there's no brain damage and everybody says, oh gosh, I wonder what happened. Well, it, how many times are we going to say that? Oh, there's no brain damage. I wonder what happened. <laughs> Pretty soon we're going to stop saying that. Now, the reason that that statement need not be discouraging is that our higher self, the Holy Spirit, whatever you wish to call it, can collapse time. It can collapse that sense of time for us. So even though we are only at the halfway point, we can ride over thousands of years with just one act of kindness. It can collapse what would have taken us thousands of years to accomplish. Just one gentle thought. Just one reaching out. Just one taking of the risk to make someone happy. 49. The miracle makes no distinction among degrees of misperception. Say that again. The miracle makes no distinction among degrees of misperception. I wonder if you would say that with me, please. The miracle makes no distinction among degrees of misperception. That is our only problem, is that we think there are degrees to murder. That some forms of murder are worse than others. If we didn't believe that, we would step out of this nightmare instantly. That's the only problem. A Course in Miracles indicates that you are either feeling the peace of God or you're sick. Now, that's not the way we look at sickness. We've got sickness very carefully defined, so it applies to the other guy, but not to us. What do we think sickness is? Well, uh, forms of cancer, heart disease, uh, heart disease maybe, we're not sure about that, flu, colds, headaches, and so forth. Uh, does it include distress about the length of our nose? Does it include uh, uh, fear about dandruff? Uh, does it include uh, a, a gimpy knee? Is that illness? Sickness? Does it include, uh, well, name it, whatever you, whatever you want to look at. If we're not feeling the peace of God, we are distressed in our body in some way. Maybe it's a, a gnawing tightness in our gut, a sense of anxiety that causes us to breathe rapidly. Maybe it's failing eyesight. Maybe one of our eyebrows has turned gray and the other one hasn't yet. And this is very embarrassing. And should we get the Grecian and do something about it, we say. And we'll spend days preoccupied with this. If you're not feeling the peace of God, you're sick. You will feel distress in some way. How then can we judge someone else for getting sick? And we say, oh, well, this person got sick. I didn't get the flu. I'm doing my mental work correctly. You see, this other son of a bitch, this slobbering, drooling son of a bitch, <laughs> they're not doing their work right, you know. I know how to pray. I didn't get the flu. <laughs> not so, says the Course in Miracles. How do you know if you're feeling the peace of God? You will know it by the fact that everyone around you is at peace and everyone who even thinks of you will be at peace. Now, unless that's true, 
you are not more advanced than the son of a bitch who's in bed with the flu. You're just not more advanced. We cannot judge people because they get sick. They cannot get sick unless we thought there was some value to the discrepancy. If we see no value in a discrepancy, we heal them because we join with them. As long as we think it's a pretty good thing that this person has got this problem and I don't, we join them in their problem and we're equally sick. And the last, 50. The miracle compares what you have made with creation, accepting what is in accord with it as true, and rejecting what is out of accord as false. So all we're learning is to associate happiness with what really makes us happy. So all we're learning. We're being taught that. There's nothing for us to do about it. We are being taught that. The big turnaround has come. The world is turning around right now. Just turning around now. It still has the millions of years to walk back that it came, but it is now turning around. Now, attack and love are not being seen as of equal value. This is now being questioned by a growing number of people on this earth. It's being questioned. The turnaround is coming. And we will see what brings us happiness. We are being taught that. All we have to do is not interfere with the lesson. So the summary is that the miracle does the work. So I point out to you there was only one thing in here that directly said what we should do. Does anyone remember it? You should thank God for what you really are. Out of 50 principles, that was the only thing that was said that we do. Everything else is a not doing. Not doing is undoing the ego. Atonement means undoing. This seems so impossible that the only thing we're asked to do is not interfere. But that's all we're being asked to do. Let me read you this uh, prayer that came to the little girl in uh, Minnesota. Obviously, as, I, as I've read the things that you sent to me, they are not just for her. So this is for us. I'll read you another one in just a moment. Have I not cared for you and provided for you your entire life? Have I ever left you deserted when you asked for my help? Do you think I ever would? Be still. And know the peace I mean to give you right now. You need not build Rome in a day. I do not expect you to be a superhero or a super achiever. In fact, I would rather you did absolutely nothing productive for my people and be content with inner peace than to produce a harvest but engage not in my love. Why? Because you are important to me. <clears throat> I am the shepherd who tends the flock. I love each of you dearly and equally. I would not sacrifice even one sheep out of four and a half billion <clears throat> to save all four and a half billion. Why? Because that one sheep is equally important to me. My love is such that it covers the entire universe with a care that is immense. Your happiness is more important to me than anything you could do. For my servants are many, and my task will be done. Remember this. 
you need do nothing. Relax and be at ease with me. Be filled with my peace. And know you need not plan or be anxious for any activity or experience. Simply be firmly planted in my love and my grace shall be upon you. So this is the promise. We've heard this said a million ways. All God wants is for us to be at peace this instant. Would you join with me now? Close your eyes. And say to yourself, all God wants is for me to be happy right now. It's all God wants. And as best you can, relax so totally that you can feel His peace fill Okay, you can open your eyes. Now we're going to do the lesson, which just takes a minute. Now, since you all have this, I'm not going to read it. I'll let you read it in your own time. I'll just ask that you do it with me now. So this is applying the same thought to thought itself. These thoughts do not mean anything. They are like the things I see in this room. So you identify the thought by the central figure or event that it contains. And you sit quietly and you just allow whatever thoughts come to your mind to come. And as what, whatever thought comes, even if it's the thought that no thoughts are coming, <laughs> Whatever thought it is, just identify it and say this thought about, and you, you supply the central figure or event, this thought about not having any thoughts does not mean anything. It is like the things I see in this room. So, so if you just close your eyes and just allow yourself to do that just for a minute or so. Whenever thought comes, just say, this thought about so-and-so does not mean anything. It is like the things I see in this room, which do not mean anything. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Jesus does a very interesting thing in A Course in Miracles. He takes some of the most outrageous thoughts in the Bible and shows that all the ego has done is taken a thought from God and covered it with shadows. The ego cannot invent anything. You never have an ego thought. You have a thought from God that the ego distorts and misinterprets. Never do you need to get rid of your thoughts. All you need to do is to let go of the interpretation that you are giving your present thoughts and you will see them as your thoughts, which are God's thoughts. Since your mind is God's mind and your heart is God's heart and your will is God's will, you will see that they are your thoughts. Even uh, statements in the Bible such as uh, uh, this... this uh, the Slav did this thing, you know, and so I'm going to not only curse you, I'm going to curse every generation of children you have forever and ever and ever. Visiting the sins upon the fathers in the third and fourth generation and so forth. Vengeance is mine. So easily, the Course takes those and shows, he just brushed the shadows off. Vengeance is mine. Don't keep vengeance for yourself. Just give it to God and let him shine it away. That's what vengeance is mine means. It's the God bag. It's 
So I just call the God bag you put in there. God will shine it away. I want to read you, want to read you one more thing that came. This was I, I, this is the whole little thing that came uh, to this girl. But the situation, because it was fairly long, I just just giving you the first part of it. She was in the uh, living room uh, a few days ago with uh, her mother and father. And something came up where it was clear that the father could get an answer about it and she could get an answer about it and, and her mother couldn't. And her mother became very distressed. And she said, well, you all can hear guidance and I can't. I never hear anything. And so they were talking about this and suddenly um, uh, this girl heard a message for her mother. She said, uh, Mother, I've got a message for you. This is the message. To her mother. Dear child, do not be afraid or distressed because you do not hear my voice as you think you should. I work in many ways. Do not limit my work by your expectations. Be open to my ways. Hear my voice, for I am with you always. I am at your side, speaking to you constantly. I shower my blessings upon you because I love you dearly. Because you do not hear my voice as you think you should, does not mean I do not speak to you. I love you, my child, and have not deserted you. Think not that you are abandoned, because you have not a gift that is similar to others. Now go forth, knowing I go before you always, clearing a path of love before you. There were some other things in this same message. There was uh, a beautiful part in there about at this time it's very helpful for you to to receive things from other people, to have other people help you. And this is so clear because we don't think other people can help us. We think this is some sort of solitary thing between us and God. <coughs> the Course in Miracles makes it plain is that this is where we will see God and each other. So, the thoughts that you think as you go through the day, if you will listen carefully and gently, if you will not judge yourself, you will hear God speak. 